So I have an assignment. I came with an assignment today, and that's to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And that's all I want to do. And so I want to start with Psalm 113. I'm going to read, open us up with two passages, then we're going to pray and see what the Lord says. Psalm 113, verse 5 through 9. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them set with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And then out of the ESV also in Psalm 68, verse 19, it said, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, Salah, or think about it. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. The New King James says, who daily loads us with benefits. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have loaded us down with benefits, namely your son Jesus Christ and what he did. God, we are the beneficiaries of a perfect life, unselfish going to the cross and dying in our place. Thank you, God, for thinking of us. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, have your way as you already have been. Touch every heart. I don't want to give my opinions. I want to give what thus saith the Lord. So, God, I ask right now that you speak, because if you do not show up, God, it is going to be an absolute mess. We praise you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen may have your places. I want to speak today about this subject or this question, who is like the Lord? Now we sung about it and I'm telling you right now, I was just so filled with joy in my spirit because I know if I can just, me being a human that, that has sinful tendencies, if I can get excited and filled with joy when I see the people of God in authenticity, in, in realness, in truth, worshiping God and crying to their eyes. And, and, I, and I love to see that. If, if I can be that way and I have sinful tendencies, how much more does God who is holy in heaven enjoy it when we worship? Because when we get to heaven, that is all we're going to be doing all the time. So when we're down here, it's just time to practice, y'all. It's a rehearsal. We're getting ready for when we get to the throne of God and we are worshiping 24-7 with the angels, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there is no clocks in heaven. Amen. Thank God. There's no, we, don't, we won't be looking at our, what is it, the iWatch? I don't do Apple stuff, so I don't know. iWatch, we won't be looking at Rolexes or a father, grandfather clock on the wall. None of that's going to be happening because we are going to be worshiping our Savior. And I love that. Amen. And so I want to talk about the God who saves. Who is like the God who saves? There is no comparison to our God. When we have truly beheld his glory, there is none that can compare to our God. And 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 I'm sitting here thinking when I'm meditating over this, Why would God so lavishly 
pour his love out on me, a wretched, sinful man. I mean, we got angels that are worshiping him right now at the throne. Amen. Angels that see his face every single day, but yet God chose to pour his love out on us and not them. Does that make sense? I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. On this side of heaven, I will never fully comprehend why he would love me so deeply. But he does. So there's no comparison to God. None at all. Why did God choose to love us? We may never fully know. But we find in Genesis that we are made in his image. In fact, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are made in the image of God. We're made in the likeness of God. We are unique from all other creation. We, are, we have a soul. We have a conscience. We have a moral and spiritual essence to us. We have the capacity to think intelligently and logically, to reason, to create, and have a self-awareness and a self-actualization to better ourselves, to believe, and to have faith, and to hope in someone greater or hope into something greater than us, and to make decisions and plans, and to think and reflect and calculate and so on and so on. We have the freedom to choose. He's given us free will. And yet the first man named Adam, as you know, took that free will. And instead of choosing good, he chose evil. He chose to rebel against God. And because God loved him so much, he gave him the freedom to choose. Because if he did not love him, he would not give him the freedom of choice. And then he would just be a robot. And God gives us the freedom of choice. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a cursing. And he tells us to choose the blessing. He's giving us a choice because he loves us. He gives us a choice because he wants us to have freedom. And we have that choice today to accept the Savior or reject him. Because we were born into sin. Romans 5.12 tells us this. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. So it's not just because of our actions. It's because of our sinful nature. We have inherited a sinful nature because of Adam, because of his act of disobedience. We have a sinful nature. And you know this if you have kids, because you don't have to teach these kids how to do wrong. You have to teach them how to do right. You have to correct them. You have to discipline them because no single person is born automatically doing the right things. We have to teach them not to take. We have to teach them not to slap somebody else. We have to teach them to be selfless instead of selfish. And that's how we know we have inherited a sinful nature from Adam. This is why we must be born again. The Bible tells us we were slaves to sin, much like the Israelites in Egypt. And Moses was their deliverer. He brought them out by the hand of God, and he was a prefigure of the Messiah. And so just in the same like manner where Pharaoh would represent Satan, uh, the children of Israel were in bondage, and Pharaoh was a hard taskmaster. Prior to Christ, we are in bondage to sin, and Pharaoh is not Pharaoh now. He is actually the devil who has kept us in bondage, and he is a hard taskmaster, all right? We can think we're living in pleasure, and we're living the good life outside of Christ, but really, the Bible says the way of a sinner is hard. It's says that we are, it's a hard life. We may not think it sometimes, but it is a hard life to be standing and living under the condemnation of a God who created you. That is a hard life because there is a cloud of judgment upon those who do not accept Jesus Christ. I did not say that. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us there is a judgment coming for those who have rejected God. And so 
In, in Exodus, we see a song of deliverance, a song of victory as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt because they were so thankful to God to get them out of this bondage. Are you thankful to God today that he brought you out of the bondage of sin? Amen. And we see in verse 11, they're singing the song and they say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Because they saw fake gods that had no power. The Egyptians worshipped everything, the sun, the moon, the grass, grasshoppers, sand, whatever it was. If it looked like something they want to worship, they worship because they were paganists. And they saw when they were coming out of Egypt, the, the, not just the Israelites, but the Egyptians saw that their gods were fake. They saw that their gods had no power. And the Israelites come out and say, who is like our God? He has power. We saw the mighty arm of God deliver us from this nation, deliver us from Pharaoh. The idols that they had, the people they worship, the birds they worship, they are fake. They are powerless. And today we have many idols in America, so many idols that it makes God's heart turn because there's so many things that we put our trust in. There's so many people we put our trust in and those idols are powerless. They cannot save us. They cannot heal us. They cannot redeem us. They cannot set us free. They will not be able to deliver us. They will not be able to get us to heaven. But God Almighty, there's no one to compare to him. And without him, we are helpless. We are hopeless. Romans 8, 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But I have good news that someone did come in the flesh and his name is Jesus. And he's the only one that could please God. Amen. He did what we could not do. God has a holy standard and it's a standard of perfection. And all of us come short. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the unfortunate thing about that is this. If we fall short of the glory because God is a holy God. And if he was not holy. And let's say he just decided to just. Because uh, I've heard people say this all the time. Oh, oh, you know, me and Jesus, we got this personal thing going on. He's okay if I do this. God is never okay with sin. Never okay with sin. Because listen, if he was okay with sin, then that would change his nature, his character. And if it changed his nature and his character, then we are in trouble. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thank God that he is. Because this book right here has not changed throughout the ages. And it's never going to change. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the Lord says, my word will stand forever. It's never going to change. And we live in a pluralistic society. We live in a society that likes to redefine things, that likes to minimize things and say, oh, well, that was back then. Today is different. I'm here to tell you it's not different now because our God is not different. Our God is the same. The same God that rescued the children of Israel and brought them out of bondage in Egypt is the same God that's saving right now today. Is the same God that's going to save in this sanctuary right now because God will never change. And since he will never change, his standard is never going to change, and we cannot meet it. But thank God someone did. God actually saw that we were poor and we were helpless, and he said, I'm going to do what they cannot do. And God chose to put on a human suit, and he wrapped himself up in human flesh in our likeness to feel what we feel and be tempted in all points, but yet without sin. And he came down from glory. He left all the riches and glory of heaven behind and humbled himself and became a man and, and got on this earth and became obedient even unto death and he did it because of love there is no other God like that 
Romans 5, verse 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates. Listen, love is an action. God put his love on demonstration. He didn't just say, I love you. He showed it. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to get it together. Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. I got to pause there because we don't hear much about this, but there is a wrath from God, an anger from God, a judgment from God against all ungodliness. Romans 1 tells it very, very clearly. There's no way we can get around it, skirt around it, and say, well, that was for that time. No, no, no. Because he is holy, he must judge sin. If he did not judge sin, he would not be holy anymore. And we can say, I don't agree with that, or I don't like that. It does not matter. Because God is who he is. He's God all by himself. He's not looking for our opinion. He's, God's not up in heaven and saying, you know what, you got a point there. You know, times have changed, and, I, and maybe I need to relax a little bit. No, no, no. Because if he did that, do you understand if he did that, the earth would literally stop spinning right now. It, if God literally let his guard down and just say, you know what, I'm going to excuse this right now and, and I'm going to set my standard back a little bit because I think it's too high of a bar. You guys can't reach it, so let me just lower that a little bit. If he literally did that, do you understand this entire universe that we know right now is a Milky Way would collapse upon itself because the Milky Way is being upheld by the very breath of God. So I know we don't like to hear that there is a judgment against sin, but that's where the good news is going to come in. And listen, let me say this. The gospel is not something that we, you know, we learn as a young Christian and then we move on to deeper things. The gospel is the deep thing. The gospel is it. I only heard three, three or four claps. I don't know if, I, I don't know if everybody agrees with me, because I'm, but I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> There, there's, a, there's a reason why American Christianity is the way, way it is right now. And what I mean is conforming to the world is because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not being preached enough. And, and guess what? We're all called to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. Amen. Spread it. Amen. And what is that? Part of that is there is a judgment coming. And if we just skip right to the good news, we've missed it. Because the good news to us is... There is forgiveness of our sins. But we also get, need to know that we have offended a holy God. We need to know that there is judgment for those who do not repent. Come on. If we don't tell that part of it, we have given a half gospel. And, and that is not a gospel at all. We need to give the full gospel. Amen. And this is it right here. He's telling us in Romans 5. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies. If you're in here right now and your sins are not forgiven, you are an enemy of God. I know that's hard to say and hard to imagine, but it is the truth because the word is truth. He says, if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, guess what? We shall be saved by his life. And in verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Now I need to pause because... I'm getting ready to talk about the greatest man this universe has ever witnessed. 
and yet people reject him today. And you know who that is. He's not the guest of honor here. He is the host. It's Jesus the Christ. We're only here because of him. He owns this church. He owns me. He owns Pastor Jeff. Everything that goes on is because of the glory of Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize Jesus. And so I want, I got to pray before I read this. I'm going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53, because this is a prophecy of our suffering servant. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for your word. Holy Spirit, do your work right now as we read Isaiah 53. This is prophesying of the coming Messiah. And God, there was people during Isaiah's prophecy who missed him. And there are people today who miss him. They're looking for something extraordinary, God. They're looking for something that's going to make them feel good. Looking for someone who comes in on a white horse that everybody just falls on their knees and adores, God. But that is not how your son came. He came as a meek and lowly servant. So Holy Spirit, pierce our hearts as we read Isaiah 53. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, have your way. Look, what, look how it starts. Who has believed our report? There's so many people that don't believe this. And I, my heart hurts for them. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, talking about Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't appearing to be what we thought he would be. He's not Fabio with a long flowing blonde mane that the women would just swoon over and and everyone would say, oh, this is a man of God or this is someone that that has come to save us. He wasn't like that. Verse three, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Let me stop right there because, listen, this is not the American Jesus that we preach about all the time. Come on, this, this is a Jesus that would probably be out on the front steps looking like a homeless person. Did he not say, if you give me something to drink or you give someone something to drink, you're giving it to me? Did he not say, if you help the poor, you're helping me? Listen, we, if we're caught up on some charismatic leader doing signs and wonders... And we're not caught up on who Jesus really is. It's very clear. He was not looking to be attractive. He was not looking to be showy. He was not looking for everyone to look at him that way. He came meek and lowly. And that's how a lot of people missed him because they thought he was going to come with a crown on his head. He was going to come in all this grandeur and splendor and that he was going to come and annihilate the Roman government and put everyone to shame. But that is not what he did. That's what we see in the world today. But Jesus said, I'm coming a different way. So I don't want you to miss this. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, we had no regard for him, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. He was crushed. And what is the result? Isaiah knew this. We can see all this and we can clap and we can say, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. And here's the result. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, yet, it pleased Yahweh, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was put, he put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I get so excited when I read that because that's me. I was a transgressor. I was a rebel. That's what it's talking about. He numbered himself. He counted himself among the rebels, yet he was not rebellious. And yet now he makes intercession for the rebels. This is our God. And I want to point out something very, very unique that maybe you haven't heard. Verse 10, it was God's will to kill his son. Let that settle. We're not talking about child abuse. We're talking about the sovereign will of God. Adam and Eve, what they did in the garden, or them living with God in the garden, was not plan A. God knew Adam could not perfectly. Listen, there was probably a million trees in the garden, and yet there was one. He said, do not even touch. Isn't that how sin is? It gets us very curious. If I was to put a park bench here, and it was painted, and I put a a sign on it that says, do not touch. I don't put on there that there's fresh paint, but I just say, do not touch. Some of y'all would sit down on that bench. Why? Because we have a sinful nature. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want people to put restrictions and rules and boundaries. But listen, we put boundaries and rules and restrictions on things that are valuable, on things that we love. Amen? You don't have a bank account that doesn't have a PIN number. Come on. You're not going to go into a jewelry store and not see somebody guarding it or, or in a glass case for protection. Why? We put boundaries and limits on things that are valuable and things that are precious. And God has put boundaries and limits not to spoil our fun, but it's because you are valuable, because you are precious in his sight and he's not restricting you he's keeping you and protecting you from the harm that sin will bring and so God was pleased because it was part of his plan Jesus was plan a all along before the foundations of the earth Jesus was going to come down on a rescue mission Adam and Eve God didn't have his faith in Adam and Eve God had his faith in himself because he humbled himself and became a man to die for us. Look at 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus came in the form of a man 
not a dog, not a grasshopper, not a bird. And I wish, and, and to, to God, I don't have a dog, but I wish dogs would be in heaven. But I don't really know. But I do know this, that we have a soul, that we can reason, that we can make decisions, that we can believe, that we can have faith because we are made in the image of God. And so since God gave that to us, we have a decision to make. Do we choose Christ or do we reject him? And my heart is burdened because I know John Piper said the greatest mission field is Sunday morning. Why? Because there's many people that come to church and they're not going to heaven. Maybe you're in here right now. Maybe you think by your works, God will be pleased. Maybe you think if you do a good, some good enough deeds, God will let you in. Maybe you think if I go to church enough, God will let me in. If I read my Bible, God will let me in. If I pray, God will let me in. It is not by works lest any man should boast, but it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. It is nothing we have done. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, guess what happened? Judgment came to all. You can sit here and act like I don't, I don't understand why one person's disobedience would cause us all to be in trouble. Again, it's a sinful nature. It was inherited. We've inherited many things in this world, right? You've inherited, it's a known fact that diseases in a family can transfer to the next generation. And sinfulness is a disease that is, has only one cure, and it is Jesus Christ. Listen, the, the sinfulness is the worst pandemic ever. Amen. But it's the least that we want to talk about. It's the least that we want to take care of. It says resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also, see, this is the part we don't want to talk about. But it's a good part. One man's disobedience brought death to all. But one man's obedience brought life to all. See, the, the atheists, the agnostics, the mockers want to focus on that one disobedience and say it's not fair. Well, it's also not fair that one man who didn't do a thing wrong lived upon this earth and died for wicked people. That's not fair either, but yet he did it. And all he's asking for you to do is put your trust in him. To be made righteous. So we must be born again. And when we are, we have a new nature and we are born into the family of God. I'm almost done. John chapter 10, 27. Oh, I love this. Here's God saying, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them, I give them eternal life. They didn't earn it. I give it to them. And guess what happens? They will never perish. And even better, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I just want to worship him on that. Amen. Nobody can snatch God or snatch me out of God's hand. <laughs> Not even sin. Verse 29, my father who has, who has given them to me, what, what is it? He's greater than all. He's greater than the devil. He's greater than sin. He's greater than my self-condemnation. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is telling us he is God. Because he said, me and the Father, we are one. We are one. We are one. So Jesus is God and he is fully God and fully man. 
And no one, no one, not even your sin, not even you can snatch you out of God's hand. I'm so thankful the devil can't take this free gift away from me of eternal life. I'm so thankful my sin can't take this free gift of eternal life away from me because I am forever locked in the hands of the Father. The only way I get out of the Father's hands is if I don't want to be held by him anymore. I want to make that very clear because there's a lot of people today walking away from the faith. I don't understand it. I can't walk away. There's been times I tried to walk away, but you know why I can't walk away? Because I'm in his grip. And it's not so much about me holding on to Jesus, it's him holding on to me. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Because if I try to use my strength and hold on to God, I'm going to lose my grip. But God is more powerful. God is more stronger. He's defeated death, hell, and the grave. Come on. He's got a hold, a hold on me, and he's not letting go. And the only way I could slip from his grip is if I said, God, I don't want you anymore. I reject your love. And I'm telling you right now, I will never do that because I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen. And greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. So Jesus will keep those who want to be kept. Do you want to be kept today? Do you feel like you're losing it sometimes? Do you feel like it might be better to be out there in the world than it is in the presence of God? I want to, to encourage you that you are being kept by God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he is keeping you. Even when you don't even want to be kept, he's keeping you. And that is so awesome because I don't think I've ever felt that secure in my life. Growing up, I wanted security and I didn't feel like I got it. I didn't feel secure in this group and that group. And I, I felt like I couldn't be who I was, truly. But when the Lord saved me, and he says, my son, I accept you as you are. And if you will let me, I will change you from the inside out. (laughs) The new version of Jonathan is the best version of Jonathan. Because I submitted my heart to Jesus. And I know there's some of you in here today. You're hearing the claps. you're, You're seeing some passion. And you're like, I don't understand that. I don't understand how to be kept by God. In two minutes, I'm going to give you that opportunity because we must seek to know God on our own. Because listen, hear me very clearly. The devil is out to assassinate the character of God in your mind. He wants you to believe that God is not faithful. He wants you to believe that God is not able to save you. He wants you to believe that God is not just. He wants you to believe that God does not care. He wants you to believe that God does not love. He wants you to believe something opposite than what the Bible says about God. But I'm telling you right now, you need to pick this thing up every single day and get to know God and get to know his ways. And when you know the character of God, then you can say to the devil, that is a lie because that's not who my God is. Amen. I know who my God is because because I have a relationship with him. And that is an indication that you're being kept by God. Come on, I didn't come to play church. If we just come and crack open the Bible because it's Sunday, I will submit to you, you probably don't even know God. Imagine my beautiful wife over here, if I only talk to her on Sundays. Some of you married me and I see you laughing because you know that marriage ain't going to last. Babe, I love you and all, but it's not Sunday, so I'm not talking to you. i got other things to do. That marriage will not last. Do you know that you are married to Jesus? He is in a covenant relationship with you. He made the first move. He loves you. And he wants to spend time. He wants you to spend time with him every single day. 
The only way your relationship with God can grow is not a Sunday morning, uh, 30-minute sermon. The only way your relationship with God is going to grow is you spend time to get to know him. You've got to know him. Because I'm telling you, there's an all-out assault. An assassination of God's character is taking place. And it grieves me. Because I know people that used to, I'll put it in quotes because I don't know, used to walk with the Lord. And no longer do. But don't tell me anything about what you think you know about God if you have not read this from cover to cover and meditate on it. I know my God. 26 plus years right now. That's not a long time. Some of y'all been doing 40, 50 years with the Lord. You think I'm going to put my hands in the plow right now and look back? The world has nothing to offer me. Amen. And look at this. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 66, Jesus was telling a hard teaching, and he had, at this time he had more than the 12. He had a, another group of 70 disciples. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you want to go away as well? Nobody would have invited Jesus to a church growth conference because he didn't care about the numbers. He even looked at 12, like, you guys want to go too? I'm not trying to. <laughs> Jesus is like, I am not trying to build something that will make the attention of man look greater. I'm not trying to get the attention of man. I'm not trying to make a name for myself in the aspect of what we would do today. He's looking at the 12 and saying, you guys, if you want to go, you can go too. Because he knew what his mission was. And, and Peter, as bold as he was, was the first one to answer. And he said, Lord. To whom shall we go? That is so profound. You need to ask yourself this question if you feel like walking away from God. Where are you going to go? You saw what the world offered you, and it didn't offer you anything but heartache and pain and suffering. It never gave you fulfillment. It never helped you. It hurt you. Why would we want to go back? Verse 69, and we have believed. Well, sorry, go back. Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, here's the thing. You've got to know that Jesus holds the word of eternal life. And today you've got to believe that. You've got to put your faith in that. And then you've got to come to know him. Amen? We don't just stop at believing. We've got to come to know him. Amen. So there's so many sales pitches today, right? There's so many enticing things that hit us on a daily basis on the internet and on TV and even on our jobs. And, and, and many things are wanting our time and our attention and our money and our devotion. Get this latest product. Do this. Watch this. You don't want to miss this. This is the event of the year. This is the sales event of the year. Support this politician. The lotto is at a record high. This is the latest craze. This is the latest fad. There's doctors. There's gurus. There's promises to give us what we need and desire, but when it's all said and done, they will not fulfill us. We are left with this question, Lord, to whom shall we go? And I'll tell you the answer. The answer is Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only one who can save us. The only one who can save us from us is Jesus. Now I want to close, I want to close with Ephesians chapter one. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We make a mistake when we 
We think everybody we come in contact with at church knows Jesus. And then a, even another mistake we make is we think everyone's been discipled. It's not punching a ticket. Oh, I got my ticket to heaven. What are you doing with your ticket? And I say it to myself too. Every day I've got to check myself. Do I want to get to know you more today, God, than I did yesterday? Or do I follow my own ways? But I love this, this scripture, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. I'm giving you that opportunity because there's some of you out here that are not saved. This is going to happen, so hear me out. You believed in him. Guess what's going to happen? You will be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Who is what? The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what he's saying is, in those times, the way they, they recognized this was a king would have a signet ring. And in a signet ring, it would have his emblem or have his initials. And, and if there was an important document that he needed to deliver to another land, you know, they didn't have email, so they had a messenger that would carry it. And, and they would have to, he would have to put hot wax on the document, whether it was a scroll to seal it up or, I mean, even today you see envelopes that are sealed. And then he would take his ring and he would press it down onto that wax and seal it. And the person who received it would know that it has been authentically, authentic, authentic I can't even say it, by the king who put his emblem on there. What does that mean? If the messenger decided to open it up because he got curious, he would die. Because the message would get to the other king and they would see that the seal has been broken. And it would get back to the king who sealed it and said, your messenger or something, somebody unsealed a document. He would die. So the messenger was very important. Whether it was good news or bad news, he had to deliver it. And he could not take a look at the contents because they were sealed by the king. This was a very important document. It must not be broken. And God is telling us by the Holy Spirit, he has sealed you. He has put his name on on you. He has put his signet ring on you. He has stamped the approval on you when you believe on him. Why? Because you are very important to him. This is a, this is his authority. He gave you his authority. He gave you his guarantee by his name being on you. He gave his, his guarantee that you will be uh, saved and go to heaven by sealing you with the Holy Spirit. And nobody, not you, not your sin, not the devil can break that seal. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it says, who is worthy to break the seal of the scroll. There's only one who is worthy and it is Jesus, the lamb of God. He's the only one worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. And that my friend is what I believe today. And God is telling us that he has sealed you until the day of redemption. Why? Because you're valuable to him. I delivered some bad news and I delivered some good news today. And I pray that we will get to know God more and more. 
because there's nothing too hard for him. Is, is your sin greater than the grace of God? The answer is no. And we stand to our feet. I, I want to make an appeal right now. And I'm going to do it a little differently than I did in the first service. Because I feel a weight on my heart that there are some people in here right now that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I, I did not do a very good job of presenting the gospel to you because, can I be honest? No one can. We can have all the eloquent words, eloquent speech. We can have more degrees behind our name where it looks like alphabet soup. But at the end of the day, the gospel of Jesus Christ belongs to God. And we're never going to fully understand it until we get there, if he chooses to share it. But what we do have right now, the little knowledge we have, is enough so that we know that Jesus is Lord. And we all have a decision to make. Amen. We can never, we can never get to the throne of God and say, I never knew. Every single person in here right now has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you will be accountable to it. That's either good news or bad news. It depends on which side of the fence you're on. But I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And I want you to imagine being at the throne of God. Because guess what? The Bible says, absent from the body is presence, present with the Lord. That means when you die, guess what happens? Your body stays, but your spirit, your soul automatically goes to the throne of God. Again, a good thing or a bad thing. Every single one of us will see God face to face. The good news is some of us get to stay. The bad news, some of us will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And you will be, this is, this is tough, but you will be banished from the presence of God for eternity. I did not write this. This is a truth that people have died for, for millions have died for. This is the truth. I want you to hear me very clearly. There's a thing called the great white throne judgment. And that is for unbelievers. You will be before the presence of God and there will be books that will be opened. And these books that are open are going to have a record of all your deeds, good or bad. Every word you have spoken, good or bad. Every thought you have thought, good or bad. They're going to be all recorded in this book. If you remember the yellow pages, those thick books... I would have at least a 10 stack of those, I know, if it wasn't for Jesus. But I won't be at the great white throne judgment. No believers will be there. The Bible says only unbelievers. But they will have a book that's open to them. And I don't know about you, but if I was at that great white throne judgment, my book would be so thick that I would fall at God and beg for mercy because I knew that I had done so much sin that I would be ashamed of myself. I want you to be ashamed of sin right now. If you're an unbeliever in here, you need to feel it because the time is short. And can I tell you, if you're a believer, you'll be at a different judgment. And at that judgment, there's also gonna be a book. But that book is gonna be the Lamb's Book of Life. And in the Lamb's Book of Life, there's no records of wrong. What's in the Lamb's Book of Life is gonna be your name. Amen. Because God is not going to keep a record of your wrongs. All he's going to keep is your name. Because your name is important to him. 
because he knows your name. He knew your name before you were even thought of, before you were conceived. He's known your name before the foundations of this earth, and he's had a plan that was already set in motion, and he's asking you today, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And let me say this, once your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, God doesn't have an angel or he doesn't himself have an eraser to take it out. It's written in blood. I said it's written in blood. So I'm going to ask you right now, with every head bow, every eye closed, please, please listen. Listen by the Spirit of God. You have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried and he resurrected from the grave, that you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth unto salvation, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the judgment that is coming. And you will, as a bonus, have eternal life with Jesus Christ your Lord. That's a bonus. But the most important thing, are you saved from the judgment that is coming? Because no man knows the hour when they will take their final breath, but God does. If it was today, can you honestly say, I will be at the throne of judgment and there will be the Lamb's book of life and my name will be written in it. Can you honestly say that? If you cannot, I'm going to beg of you. I'm going to ask of you to slip your hand up today. This is not anything to be ashamed of. Do you want to be translated from death into life? Do you want to be translated from darkness to light? Today is a day of salvation. Do not put this off. Do not say I'll do it later. Today, now, is the time of salvation. The Holy Spirit is is pulling on you. It's tugging at your heart. And he's saying, today, my son, today, my daughter, come unto me. I will give you life eternally. So if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Slip your hand up right now. If you need to accept Jesus Christ in your heart, I don't want you to be ashamed. I don't want you to be afraid. Raise that hand up high so I can see it. Nobody's looking at you except me. Come on, raise it up high. I see a few hands. Raise it up high. Higher. Come on. Now I'm going to ask you to take a bold step. This is not to embarrass you. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm asking you to take a step of faith. Why? Because you need to make it public. You need to let the devil know that you're tired of living for him and you're going to live for God. And you need to, hey, listen. And you you can hear the hand claps right now. I promise you, when you get out of your seat and you come up here in just a couple of seconds, you're going to hear a thunderous clap. You will hear it here and the angels in heaven will be doing it there. Because the Bible says when one turns from their sins and repents unto God, the angels in heaven, they throw a party. They rejoice. Amen. So I'm going to ask you right now, on the count of three, to come up here. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Make your way up here. Can I ask you prayer warriors? Prayer warriors, come now. Hurry, hurry, hurry. On the count of three, come up here and meet these prayer warriors. And we want to rejoice with you today that you want to accept Jesus in your heart. Amen. One.
beside you and they raise their hand, why don't you just grab their hand right now and walk up here with them? Sometimes it, you feel a little more comfortable when someone comes with you. Come on, do that for your friend. Do that for your loved one. Let's bring them up here right now. Amen. Bring them up here right now. Amen. Right here, right here. Amen. Now, those of us out here, I do believe there's still more, but those of us out here, can you put your hand out towards them right now as these prayer leaders are praying with them to accept Jesus into their heart? I want us as a community to make this commitment that we're not going to let them walk out these doors and not get any help. We have, we have Brother Charles over here. He's got some gifts for them, and he's going to take their information. But as a community, especially if you know these young people, we have to make a commitment that we'll walk alongside them and show them how to walk this out. Because I'm sick and tired of seeing people get saved and nobody helps. Amen. I know this church helps, but it takes all of us. Amen. So let's pray. God, I thank you for these that came forward right now, God. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they say yes to you, God. They say no to the world. They say yes to you. They want to give their hearts to you tonight, today, God, and we just agree, God. Seal them with the Holy Spirit. Seal them right now, God. Deliver them right now from the clutches of sin, God. Free them from the bondage of sin, God, that they may walk in the fullness of God, that they may be free, O Lord. Help them, O God, to walk this out right now, God, that they will never be the same, O Lord. We just agree with it right now, God, that they have made the best decision they could ever make, and they will not be the same after today, O God. Have your way in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.